Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on March 13th, 2021. Yes, it's been about almost a year that we are two weeks to flatten the curve. Does that sound about right, Rich? <laughs> uh, <laughs> two, well, we, two weeks to two, flatten the curve a year later. <laughs> well, that, that two weeks is stretched out to like 20 years at this point, <laughs> I think, for a lot of us. Yeah, I, I, I have said that 2020 was the longest decade of my life, and it just hasn't gone away. <laughs> but, but I will say that 2021 is at least moving a little bit quicker than 2020 was about this time last year. So thank well, you for... at least... Go ahead. It, it, I was just going to say, at least we have toilet paper. Yes. Yes, we still have toilet paper. Y'all made me worried for a second because there was a second run on the toilet paper toward the end of last year. And I was starting to worry about y'all. Not that I'm not already really worried, but you were really, really starting to worry me. <laughs> but yes, there is toilet paper. There is, there is uh, uh, you know, uh, tissue paper. There is uh, uh, paper towels and... We, you know, Walmart shelves still have, well, most things, uh, depending on what day of the week you're shopping. So we, we're, we're, we're slowly plugging along into the, the 2021, but we're halfway through the third month and we just wonder how far this train's going to keep running before it goes off the rails. But thank you for being with us. Thank you for continuing to be a, a part of this program. Uh, as you know, as a, hopefully if you're a listener of this program, by the way, if you guys might be new listeners, Rich, we, we've, we've had some new followers because we had an add-on to what we do recently. And wow, <laughs> did that, that, that was unexpected. So if you are new, if you are brand new because you follow something, a new Twitter account that has been created for us, uh, by us. Welcome. This is Voice of Reason Radio. This is a Christian radio program where basically two guys on opposite ends of the country uh, talk about the things of God, talk about what's going on in the world, talk about day-to-day life through one particular lens, and that should be, and always should be, the Word of God. And the reason we call it Voice of Reason Radio, if you're not familiar, is that there is one Voice of Reason. Uh, This is going to make Jory Micah really mad. But there's only one Voice of Reason. It is the Word of God. It is the only lens by which you should view anything in this life. It is your sole authority for life and godliness in this world. Uh, You don't get to trust your own inner guidance system. Yeah, see, I told you I was going to make her mad. Um, But you you don't trust your heart. You trust God's word. It is what divides right from wrong and right from almost right. So that's what we try to do here on this program. Now, if uh, as I've said before to many of our prior listeners who know this, we are not your church. If you are going to get any biblical teaching, first and foremost, it should come from your local church. We do not ever want anyone, any Christian anywhere, to supplement their uh, religious and spiritual education simply by listening to podcasts or online sermons. Go to your church. Funny thing, we're going to be talking about that tonight. But get to a local church, get to a Bible-believing church, get under sound pastors who believe and trust and expound upon the Word of God, Get your education there. Grow in uh, in grace and in faith and with the body of Christ. And then, as time permits, listen to programs like this. Because at best, we can hope to do is give you a tertiary add-on, a little bit of extra info that maybe you could find interesting and helpful. So, never, ever, 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 ever 
use these podcasts as a supplement for your church. If you do, if, I'm going to tell you to unplug. Yes, Rich? I will add this, though. If you are physically unable to attend church, there are great podcasts, there are great sermons, mm-hmm. there are great ministries that you can follow. What Chris was saying was angled and meant for those of you who have no reason mm-hmm. physically not to attend church. Absolutely. Now, there are there are many of us that are disabled and cannot physically go. I'm one of them. Um, there are times when a family member may be extremely sick or other situations. But as Chris was saying, you use the voice of reason, which is the Word of God, and let that guide you, but never try to make excuses not to go. If you can go, you need to go. Amen. Amen. So that was, yeah, that's exactly it. I wasn't doing that to, you know, uh, go after or make anybody feel horrible who's literally in a position where they cannot. But if you are able, there is no, and there is no legitimate reason for you to not be in attendance, you need to be going. And for those who uh, are not able to attend, talk with your local churches. Sometimes there are are some churches, and this is one of those things you and I really should probably talk about on the show at some point. Um, one, I think one of the big problems that many local churches don't think about, and I don't believe this is intentional, is I think sometimes those of you that face uh, issues with disabilities get left in the dust because I think a lot of churches don't know how to deal with it. And maybe that's something we should be talking about on this program at some point. But um, Actually... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, actually, that you and I have actually discussed that and the possibility of having Justin Peters join us for that very topic of when you know the church seems to forget about the mm-hmm. lame sheep that's left to the side. And I know we're getting off topic, mm-hmm. but for just for just now, churches are not trained to deal with long-term chronic issues. Pastors are trained to go visit someone that's in the hospital. That's those short-term type situations. But most churches are not trained, equipped, or even, you know, in a position to deal with (laughs) long-term suffering or long-term illnesses or long-term, you know, disabilities. And sadly, in my opinion, that's one reason so many people that may be Christianized and not necessarily saved, but that's one reason so many professing Christians fall victim and pray to so many of these wolves out there that are promising them healing if you send in Mm -hmm. X amount of money and those type of of fake healers. Right, exactly. And so I think that's definitely, we're going to have to get a hold of Justin and get him on here and have a talk about that. I think that's something that would be a wonderful discussion. Um, I think, I think it's one we definitely should, uh, try to get going here in the near future. So, so that is who we are. And by the way, we are part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, Christian podcast community is a uh, collection, so to speak, a gathering of like-minded brethren who put podcasts just like voice of reason radio together. It is, uh, kind of the brainchild of our good friend, Andrew Rappaport and some of his staff that have come together to, you know, to try to not only create a place where you can find good podcasts and solid biblical teaching, but also a place where we can help. Instead of having to compete with one another, hey, we're actually trying to lift each other up and 
uh, ask you to listen to other programs. And we do that often on this show. So uh, I'm going to recommend, in fact, uh, we talked about a couple of them last week. Uh, you know, the guys over at Matter of Theology, Chris and, uh, and Drew, do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, our, there's some uh, really fantastic shows that we want you guys to be a part of and listen to. They're, they're just, there's always something really good that you're going to benefit from. And uh, in fact, I just started listening to a new one. In fact, I'm looking, I really enjoyed the one they just put out this last week. Um, the guys over at uh, Truth Be Known, uh, Nathaniel Jolly and Ecky, that they just had a, a wonderful episode on God's justice. And I think you guys would uh, really benefit from listening to that. They, Truth Be Known is part of Christian Podcast Community. And uh, so you you can find go to just Google Christian Podcast Community or you can go to our page at slavestothekingcom There's a link to where we are on Christian Podcast Community, and then you can just follow the menu to take you to the different programs. But really good programs. Um, really recommend you check it out. Now, for those of you who are brand new, maybe you've never heard of any of this. Welcome, all you folks who are now followers. Of a new Twitter account that's now what four days old, called the Theo Bros. <laughs> I've never seen anything that Rich, you of I have ever done <laughs> get this much attention this fast. <laughs> um, it now has a couple of things, but you would not want me to. <laughs> you, well, yeah, no. Let's not get into that discussion. <laughs> that's that's already giving me. I, I'm going to have nightmares. Thank you, Dr. White. I, I'm still I'm having PTSD now. Um, every time I go to the mailbox. Anyway, different subject. Um, but in four days, we've managed to accumulate 792 followers at the current count. And that changes hourly. Um, I did not expect this to happen. So... If you do not understand what I'm talking about, although most of you who listen to the show at this point apparently do know because most of you are following the page, um, I, Tuesday, which would have been four days ago, so we're talking back on, would have been the 9th, I think. Is that, what? what is today? What did I just say today was? I don't remember what day it is. It, today's the 13th. So yes, back on the 9th. Um, I had seen an online discussion, and I think it started with James White's daughter, uh, Summer Yeager, on her Twitter account, where she had share she had quote tweeted someone, and I, at this point, I don't even remember what, what, what the discussion was. But she, you know, most people, we all are guilty of this to some extent. We'll kind of do what's called a subtweet. You know, we'll 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 share something that's kind of aimed at somebody, but we won't name them. And so it's like, well, you know, some of you out there or, you know, know, for those people who think, and it's so this person actually named who she was talking about, which would be a couple of actual Orthodox Christian teachers. And so Summer actually tells this gal, thank you for at least naming names. Most people won't. But then she makes a comment, but you always, you know, don't come at me with your outrage if you're going to use terms like Karen or Theobro. And I looked at the thing and I went, oh, okay, I see what she did. She named the two names and I, I, for the life of, I think one of them was Doug Wilson, which just mentioning that I can hear the pitchforks uh, being raised. And I I forget the other one. Maybe it was John Piper, but, and then it, so it names the two names and then it refers to them as Theobro. 
And the discussion followed from there, from Summer's comments about people hating this phrase, Theo bro. And I jokingly responded saying, you know, I, I, sh I should probably make an account called Theo bros just to be annoying. And somebody encouraged me to do so. And I had a little bit of a gap in, at, at, my, at work at the time. I had a little bit of a break. And I thought, you know what? Just for the fun of it, I'm going to create this thing and throw it out there. Now, my get, I, I figured within a week I was going to shut it down because nobody would follow it. Now, <laughs> four days later, we have nearly 800 people following this account. So I, <laughs> I didn't anticipate this at all. So for those who don't understand, what I have observed is that the term Theobro is kind of a, a way of, of a, a, a dismissive pejorative, a, a, a pejorative being a, a, a negative term, a, a, a slur or a slanderous way of uh, referring to someone. And when I've seen it used, it's always in a reference to someone who, usually it's a social justice discussion, somebody who's pro-social justice cannot stand Christians who come in and say, Social justice is wrong. Here's a biblical reasons why. And we're, we're concerned about biblical fidelity. You're corrupting scripture to try and support something that isn't supportable when you claim social justice is biblical. And they always do, they always refer to someone who is concerned about biblical fidelity as a theobro. Kind of a lunkhead, you know, just, oh, you're, you're, you're all a head full of knowledge and no heart. You don't care about people. You're just using your Bible to, uh, to, to, to hate and, and to spread racism and misogyny and all this stuff. And so it was, it's being used as a way to kind of dismiss someone. Now, I would not put it on the same level as what um, Virgil and Daryl uh, over at Just Thinking deal with. But for example... You will all you often hear Daryl and Virgil talk about when they speak biblically against so, uh, critical race theory, for example, or they speak against the idea of systemic racism. They will often get called some very negative terms, something like say I'll th the mildest one I would be able to use without getting in trouble would say like Uncle Tom. So oh you're just an Uncle Tom. What does that mean? You're not worth listening to. You you've betrayed us. You're not worth listening to. No matter what your argument is, you're just you're this person, so I can dismiss you. And that's a very now that is a much higher level in my opinion because there is a lot of animus behind that phraseology. But Theobro is kind of that idea that oh you're just a Theobro. I don't need to listen to you. You, you, you're just, oh, you, you just make an idol of the Bible. You don't care about justice. You don't care about uh, misogyny or sexism or racism. You just carry about, uh, you know, promoting your white Western way of understanding scripture. So that's what I've seen it used for. So <laughs> I did this without talking to Rich. So poor Rich, I think he, he, he got online that afternoon and basically looked at it and went, Chris, what have you done? Um, but so I went and I, I started a, a, a Twitter page and I called it, it's, uh, if you look for it, it's at the Theobros, at T-H-E-T-H-E-O-B-R-O-S. And what you'll find is it's a, you know, it's a picture of an old, you know, arcade game characters, you know, these, you know, Street Fighter type guys, not Street Fighter the game, but, you know, these Street Fighter type looking guys. And they're, you know, they got their fists raised and they look like they're ready to go. And, uh, it, and, and it's, you know, it's the, the actual page name is Theobros. And what the, the bio that I put in it is what some use as a slur we're claiming as a banner. 
Theo Bros Love God's Word and Sound Doctrine. Join us, official mascot of at VOR Radio. So that's <laughs> that's what it is. It is a page dedicated to using the term that has been become a dismissive pejorative as something that is actually promoting sound doctrine. And okay. s- the scary thing was how fast you all hit the like and follow button. That really was weird. <laughs> Go ahead, Rich. Sorry. I'm, I'm dropping this out of nowhere and you have no clue what I'm about to say. <laughs> we're going to have a, we're going to have a contest. Oh no. <laughs> For all of our graphic artists, graphic designer friends that listen to this show. If you can come up with a new logo for the Theo Bros, keeping the bad dude's current logo in mind, if we choose your logo that you make, we're going to gift you a book of some sort. We, we'll have to discuss it and <laughs> see, but at the moment I'm thinking perhaps maybe one of the new nice legacy standard Bibles. If we can get them, everybody else has gotten them, man. <laughs> I haven't seen mine yet. I don't know. You got yours yet? <laughs> I don't have it in hand, but <laughs> let's let's just say that arrangements can can be made, be made through <laughs> through contacts to have one in hand very quickly. And, and and honestly, we would love to have an, a legitimate logo because I'm I'm fairly certain that the screenshot of the bad dudes video games characters will one day probably get me in trouble. I honestly didn't think this was going to take off like this. <laughs> and what's funny is what within two days of this thing being put together, we got neg- this account got negatively name-dropped in a discussion with what I would term as kind of some, you know, kind of the elitists who actually don't like the concept of Theobro. So it existed for four, less than 48 hours. Somebody screenshots it and uh, using and, and referring to a discussion about alpha male says, no, an alpha male is a person who think that, thinks that Theobro is a slur and drops the screenshot of, of our page into the conversation. Somebody else told me, I haven't, I haven't been able to find it. So if y'all have found this, you know, somebody send it my way because I, I scrolled through there their feeds and I missed it. So if you've seen it, I, I somebody point me to it. But from what I understand, Bradley Mason, who is a sold out wokester of the worst sort and Calvinist Batman also apparently have said this. Now, if they haven't, I'm telling you, I can't find it. They, I was told that they did comment about it. What they've said, I don't know because I can't find it. So if y'all have seen it, send it to me. Cause I'd like to know, <laughs> but it, it was online for two days and its mere existence has already gotten up people's nose so, so basically being a theo bro means that you actually be- believe in biblical theology meaning you actually believe in the bible because whether you realize it or not when you read and study the bible you're reading and studying theology, theology. it's not just all those big giant long words we can't pronounce when you study the Bible, you read the Bible, you are studying biblical theology. Yep. It's that simple. Well, and, and the simple thing is, is I've had people tell me, well, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. Um, why do you need Jesus? Well, I need to be forgiven of my sins. You just did theology. So you need theology. <laughs> you know, we need to understand theology 
because we need to understand what God has commanded us. I, I, I shared this actually off. It was something Daryl shared. It was uh, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, uh, the verse where Christ says, why do you say that you love me, but do not do what I, I, I tell you? And so my comment at, under the Theobro account was uh, is simply to say, this is why theology is necessary, because how will you know what it is Jesus said to do if you don't study Scripture? So you need, you need that uh, uh, study of Scripture so that you might know what it is God has commanded us to do. You can't practice rightly what you don't rightly know. So that's the whole story behind the Theobros account. Um, I jokingly said, hey, you guys are awesome. We're, we're almost to 400. Let's see how fast we can get to 1,000. You guys took me way seriously. And we are, like I said, we're eight away from 1,000. It's already bypassed uh, our, our Voice of Reason radio account. By the way, if you do like this program, go to at VOR underscore radio on Twitter and follow that account as well, because all the new shows, articles, stuff that we want to share that's related to the show, website information, comes out on that on that Twitter account. And if you live on Twitter, that's a great way to know what's going on with this show, because we put everything new goes through there. Um, and, and we actually we actually also have a Facebook page. Not that yep. many of you ever <laughs> visit it. <laughs> Yes, you look for Voice of Reason Radio. By the way, make it Voice of Reason Radio. If you just say Voice of Reason, you're probably going to end up on some atheist page. Uh, don't go there. Dark, dark place. Anyway, <laughs> but so anyway, if you enjoy this program and you like the idea of flipping the script on the elitists who think that using theology to defend what Christianity is and does against the onslaught of postmodernism, Marxism, and leftism, and all the other stuff, then follow the Theobros account and share it because we're going to keep trying to use it. I suspect it probably will get canceled before long, but we're going to use it as long as we can. It is now our official mascot for this radio program. And like I said, I'd, Rich said, we'd love to have an official logo for it. But the simple fact is, we're not very artistic. <laughs> you know, so we'd love to have an official design logo for it. If somebody would love to do that, we will get you, hopefully, hopefully, I would love to get, I, I want to get an, an LSB Bible before we send one out, okay? But I'm just saying, we will, we'll get something out to you, hopefully an <laughs> LSB Bible. So, <laughs> but thank you for that little, that little detour uh, as we start the show. We don't normally, we're, we've been trying to be better about, using that initial time in the show we're trying to get better about getting into what the show is about uh, into the actual meat of the show but we wanted to put that one out there because i honestly didn't think this was going to fly i i i didn't i i almost didn't do it and it is amazing to me we've got people following the theo bros account i've never heard of I don't, I've never seen them on Voice of Reason Radio's account. I've never seen them on my personal account. I've never seen them interacting with us, with the, the, the circle of friends that you know seem to be part of this program. So some of these folks are brand, brand new. And, and I think it was by the name recognition alone. Um, you may not have noticed, and I'll get with you about this when we're not recording, but there are a couple of really well-known pastors that have actually followed the theo bros account yeah it's it this is kind of weird this is really getting kind of weird i 
I don't know how it happened. It's so bizarre. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, every time I turned around, my my the notifications on my phone was like almost in meltdown mode. Every time I put my, if I put my phone down for an hour, I will come back and it, it, you know how you'll get if you get like more than twenty notifications, you'll get that twenty plus. Now any any longer, if I walk away from my phone for five minutes, I'm getting twenty plus hits, and it's like, how do you go? What on earth? <laughs> So, uh, thank you guys for that. <clears throat> excuse me, that have joined us on that. that we hope that you ha- are have followed the account and you are being blessed by it. Um, and we hope what we will be able to do with this is promote the idea that I don't care what name you call us. You can call us the every name in the book. And in a day and an age where people think words are actual violence, calling me a name, fine. Guess what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to use it, and then I'm going to preach the gospel with it. And I think there can be no greater way to to put back in the face of people who are elitist and who think that they own Christianity so that they can use it for their political purposes than to take a name that they slapped us with as a, as a slander or a slur and turn it back on them and say, fine, call me that. Let's get back to work. So hopefully... That's what we'll be able to do with this account, and we'll see what comes of it. But thank you, folks, for for joining and being part of it. So, any thoughts, Rich, before we well, actually dive into tonight? Well, just uh, I got called something that was a first time, very bizarre, that I'm still laughing over, and it was actually in response <laughs> to the episode we did about Jory Micah. And I'm trying to figure out a way to do something with it. If you'd like to tell the listeners what someone accused me of because I'm such a white supremacist racist and I hate minorities and <laughs> everything that goes along with, with standing against wokeism and CRT. Well, you know, you're just a honky Kong there, Rich. <laughs> My first thought was the big giant white George gorilla from the movie rampage. <laughs> When you sent me that, and what was so funny is you couldn't even get it screenshotted fast enough before they re- they went, wait, what did I do? And they deleted it. <laughs> Such yeah, bravery. I was, I was actually, <laughs> I was eating dinner, my notification went off, and I just hit it, and I saw it. And the time between then and when I finished dinner, I was going to go back and screenshot it. They deleted their comment. So I don't know <laughs> if, if they decided that was over the top or what. I guess be thankful that maybe they did ish exercise a little bit of discernment and they did delete it but i just honestly i found that just hilarious <laughs> rich honky kong story has a ring to it brother <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's hilarious is a week or two ago i had a com- uh, back and forth with michelle leslie on twitter and the basically we were trying to figure out where the origin of the of the slur honky came from and you know a couple of weeks later here someone calls me a honky kong <laughs> and uh, i still i actually did a little research i still have not completely nailed down the origin of that racist slur honky but it, it was just interesting that you know in that time frame a word i have not heard since my youth for the most part all of a sudden it just keeps popping up 
Well, if anybody has the etymology of the word honky, uh, email us at voiceofreachinradio at gmail.com. We'd love to we'd love to know the origin of that phrase. Oh, I know, brother. I know, Fred, <laughs> I know Fred Sanford in the old TV show Sanford and Son. I know he used that word, oh, it seemed like, in almost every, every episode. episode. And George Jefferson made it famous. Yes, he did. And the Jeffersons. But, you know, where just... I'll say this, and we'll actually get on with the show, but it amazes me that when it comes to CRT and these woke advocates, if you're a pale-skinned, pink-toned, and I'm not going to say white because I'm not white, I'm not an albino, but if they're going to be racial slurs, they need they need to use at least the proper <laughs> scientific label because we're not white. You know, we may, the Indians had it correct, or excuse me, the Native Americans saying pale face, because we're more pale face, or we're more like from the um, Star Star Trek series, where the Andorian called um, Captain Archer a pink skin. That would even be more appropriate. But we're not white. Yeah. But it's sad that you know, if you are labeled as a Caucasian, anyone anywhere under the sun can call you anything you they want. You're not to be offended, but you better not use anything, joking or not, that could be deemed a slur or a, or a ding against any other yeah. ethnicity. You know, um, I think we've lost a lot in the generations and the decades since TV shows like yeah. The Jeffersons and All in the Family and Sanford and Son, where people could actually laugh. At ourselves, yeah, it wasn't necessarily making fun of another ethnic group, but everyone laughed at themselves because, you know, it. But I guess as we've grown older in a society, we've lost any remote sense of, well, we lost all common sense, and I think we've lost any sense of humor, because nowadays we have to walk around on eggshells, being too concerned about offending someone whether it should be offensive or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's very tragic, the the times that we live in. So, oh, and Rich, before we go on to tonight's show, I, I did want to share this. We did a show last week on Bethany Christian Services, which was a, it's an, a, basically a, a service that primarily deals with uh, children, adoptions, uh, also um you know, putting, you know, helping put children in, in homes, uh, temporarily, uh, so that, you know, in foster care and stuff like that. And we talked about the fact that they had made an, a, a startling announcement for what is supposed to be a Christian run organization. And basically they were going to be adopting children nationwide to homes that are what, you know, are termed LGBTQ plus, et cetera. And so we spent a lot of time talking about why, a Christian organization doing that is anti-biblical, and you either take Christian off your sign, or you change your practice and you come in turn, you know, come in alignment with Scripture. But we did receive uh, a response to that. We uh, through our webpage, slavetothekingcom We had a uh, one of our folks that came in through the contact us page. His name is Wayne. He did send us a message uh, or, uh, last week, and he said he I wanted to share this because I thought this was a nice follow-up to what uh, what we were talking about. He, he writes and says, Hi, Chris and Rich. I listened to the Bethany Christian Service episode. I agree that they have followed the, the world and not Christ. 
My wife and I adopted our boys from them in 2001 and 2004 in Minnesota. So 20 years ago, he was involved with Bethany Christian Services. They were wonderful to work with back then. I even remember the application and interview were very focused on our relationship with Christ and how involved we were with our local church. What an amazing testimony that would have been back then, that a service that actually had Christian on their name wanted to be involved, putting, involved in putting children in genuinely Christian homes, not Christian in name only. And he says, most young women who were looking to place their children there or place their ch- uh, child wanted a place, uh, wanted to place them in a Christian home, even if they themselves weren't Christians. So young women looking to put their children up for adoption, even if they did not follow Christ, wanted their child to go to a Christian home. Wow, 20 years ago. Imagine what it was like 20 years ago when people, people sought out an organization specifically to put their children in Christian homes. That what, an, what a dramatic difference 20 years has made. We've, uh, he said, we had wonderful relationship with, relationships with the staff there for the year, for years during that process. Now, something he did bring up, I thought was very interesting. He said, "You are correct. The price was very expensive, sixteen thousand uh, for each trial. Though they did have a sliding scale based on income. They, he says, we happen to land on the upper end. So." At the time, 20 years ago, there was a sliding scale, and if you, depending on where you fell, you might pay more or less, but it was still not cheap in any, uh, any, in, by any stretch of the imagination. So he says, that's our experience. I don't know what it's like now, but it sounds like they went woke. Great show. Love listening every week, Wayne. So Wayne, thank you for sharing that with us, because what that really does is reinforce what we said, is that there, this is an organization that in a very short period of time, went from, we are concerned about the home we are placing them in. Is this a genuinely Christian home? To now they are preparing to bring in training material that says, here's how you place a child in an LGBTQ home. They are, they are departing any sense of Christianity. They've, they've abdicated having a position. By the way, if you say, I have no position, you just took a position. You're saying, I don't believe the word of God has a place here. So you're not a Christian if you say that. I'm sorry. So Bethany Christian Services went 20 years ago, was absolutely involved in placing children in Christian homes. So today we're going to train our staff to reject the word of God and place children in homes that we once said, this is not what we will do. This is, we will uphold the word of God. So if you have not listened to that program, please go back and check it out. Uh, it, it is, uh, I think, worth listening to because if you, we are going to see this more and more as the world continues to progress down the secular humanist rabbit hole. And it is going to pr- more and more promote the idea that Christianity has no place in the public square, which coincidentally is going to be ta- uh, what we're somewhat talking about tonight. So Ed Rich wanted to share that. I thought that was, that was an interesting piece of information, seeing how dramatically two decades has changed that organization, wouldn't you say? Well, it's also a pretty good reflection on the way American Christianity has took a nosedive over the last 20 years. Um, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't know of a time in history when the the professing church did such a 180 away from the tenets of the Word of God. You know, back in the 50s, 60s, and even early 70s. You know, 
people, there were debates as always among professing Christians. You know, back then, generally the debate was Calvinism versus Arminianism. Yeah. But everyone knew and understood that this is what the Bible says is sin, so this is sin. Now, you know, just using it in context from when these people adopted 20 years ago versus now, what transpired within Bethany's services is a reflection of what's going on within the professing church, mm -hmm. especially in the United States, that the nosedive has happened that fast and that quick and Lord have mercy on us. What will transpire over the next 20 years? But one thing, if you don't take anything else away from this episode, please listen to this. You can no longer go by the Christian label. You need to peel that label back and examine the contents because everywhere you turn in this day and age, church of this church of that, you know, so many profess to be Christian, but are they professing the Christ of the Bible? Yeah. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian, but, or I'm a Christian, but I believe this. I'm a Christian, but I believe that. Unless a person professes Christ and truly believes what the Bible says and has truly been saved by Christ, it doesn't matter what they claim. We, and the Bible commands us to examine the fruit. And I have news for you, for those and we hear it all the time. Well, don't judge, don't judge. Well, I guess what? Read your Bible. As Christians, we are commanded to judge those within the church. We are to judge those that we worship with. We are to judge those that profess to be Christ or to be Christian to make sure that they are exhibiting fruit of the Spirit. And one interesting thing that has come out of all this about Pastor James Coates being arrested in Canada for refusing to not step down from the pulpit. And at this point, it's become very clear that Canada is using this man as an example. But what has been disturbing is the criticism that has been spewed out about his refusal to not preach the Word of God, to not shepherd the flock that the Lord blessed him with. And that is disturbing because I don't know if these people are just Christian in label or if they're true Bible-believing Christians, but it, it you should stop back and look and consider the fact that, you know, I've seen articles about Christians, you know, accusing James Coat of this or that and different wordings, but the, the question remains, you know, first, just because it's labeled Christian does not make it Christian. And I know that there's been a lot of discussion about Romans 13 when it comes to Christians submitting to the authority that God has placed over them. And if you read the book of Acts, it starts out and it, it goes on in where the apostles were being told not to preach in the name of Christ. And they replied, basically, you know, we can only proclaim and, and, tell what we witnessed and what we saw, whether we should obey you or God, that's up to you, but we can do nothing but obey God. And it takes discernment to know and truly understand when we should disobey civil authorities versus obeying God, you know, and there are times when the government overreaches 
And we as Christians should say no. Yes, and there are also times that we should obey what the government says. It's hard to, you know, there's so many different scenarios, you can't nail everything down and just list it out. But in the situation of Dr. Coates and the episode that Chris and I did last year in regards to COVID and the church shutdowns, in that episode, we said, how long is too long? Mm -hmm. How long is too long for these churches to be closed and shut down? And we made an argument that at that point in time, it wasn't just churches being shut down. It was casinos. It was restaurants. It was bars. It was malls. It was, you know, any kind of any place of gathering of large numbers of people, you know, even on down to, in some states, they didn't want X number of people in, a, in one home. But over time, that it became evident that as restrictions were loosened, in some areas, those restrictions on, on the church stayed in place and then a lot of times became even more stricter. And in the case of Pastor Coates, if I remember reading correctly, that area where that church is located, there are, how should I put this, adult-themed mm-hmm. stores and, and, and venues that are wide open that, you know, there's no capacity limit, there's no restrictions, there's no nothing. But yet this church is being told that they can't sing, they can't meet together, they can only have 15% capacity, they must be six feet apart, they must wear a mask. And that's just an example from that one area in at one uh, territory in Canada, but there are many states still within the United States that are still imposing those same kinds of restrictions. So the, the question is not, you know, should we be obeying these laws? Should we be obeying these authorities? But the question is, why aren't you out proclaiming the gospel during the course of all of this? Mm-hmm. And I'll hand it back to you before I use an example that's actually from the Bible that applies to this particular situation. Yeah, no, it's uh, first off, I think we do want to remind folks, yes, we did talk about this last year. And I know I've mentioned this more than once in, in recent programs. When we did that last year, remember that there was a lot of debate. And in some cases, some churches and Christians blasting churches. How dare you close your doors? How dare you let government tell you? And hopefully what we were trying to make a case for was that if you if, if a church was closing at do- its doors because it was belie- it believed in doing so it was loving neighbors, loving its congregation and loving and trying to be obedient to Romans 13 that there was a case to be made. But Rich had asked, and I think it was a valid question at the time, how long do we allow this to go on? And I don't think we could really come up with an answer at the time because COVID was an unknown. We just didn't really know that much. What we knew was was terrifying. And we were looking at models and projections of the information coming out. Since that time, and what has become more and more obvious as time has gone on we jokingly said we're we're now one year into two weeks to flatten the curve i'm not joking about that there are still municipalities cities counties states and countries using emergency powers under the covid pandemic crisis and i put all that in scare quotes to 
justify the things that they're doing. But we are one year into this, and it was supposed to be 15 days. Since then, we've seen massive manipulation of numbers. Since then, we've seen the deaths numbers fluctuate because, oops, that was not as high as we thought it was because we included this and and we should have excluded that. Oh, you wanted actual percentage rates of both healthy or recoveries and deaths like was happening at one point in Florida. Um, There was massive manipulation of numbers. Now we've seen that for the longest time, uh, the testing was being done in such a way that the cycle rate was too high. So you're getting lots of false positives. And then we saw how municipalities and, and counties and states were massively, and I mean massively ex- selective on how they applied the COVID restrictions. Here in Nevada, we actually had a case get pushed up to the Supreme Court, which they rejected and didn't take. But you had, in, our, in my state, you had casinos, for example, could have 50% capacity but churches could have no more than 50 people. Somehow, church was a worse place to be than a casino where people were drinking, smoking, and gathering around one another at the craps table. Uh, right, okay, that's that's more dangerous than uh, to sing at church than it is to be uh, drunk and smoking and uh, crowded together with people who probably haven't bathed in a couple of days because they're you know boozing it up and 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 uh, gambling. So massive disparity on how they were applied. In fact, I can't, we lost track of the number of, of officials who signed a COVID order one day and then took a trip somewhere else on, let's say, like Thanksgiving. I mean, Dr. Burke got caught doing that. Okay? So every, the, the, the amount of in... Uh, Dis, a disparate behavior. If you were you were considered essential, if you were a business that put money into the state's coffers, but if you're a church where they collect, collected no tax money, they could shut you down. If you were a politically uh, expedient tool to be used, like a mm, shall we say peaceful protest, you were praised where thousands of people were gathered in the streets, sometimes not really being peaceful, you know, MSNBC, mostly peaceful protests as the flames are burning in the background. That's praised as a wonderful free expre- expression of free speech, but how dare you come in and, and together and worship the Lord on Sunday? So this idea that it was all for the protection of the, uh, of the people is utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. So we crossed that threshold that you asked about, Rich, a year ago, long time ago, long time ago. And that's where folks like John MacArthur and other other churches like his began to say, no more. We have a duty, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Why is it that the church must gather? Because that is an important issue. There is a reason that the church must gather. There's a reason why you don't actually do church at home. You, you can't just do church at home. In fact, there's a great video, and Rich, I meant to, to say this in pre-show. I want to share this on uh, uh, Pastor Gabe Hughes' um, uh, 
well, what episode? It's like 90 seconds long, folks. You'll love this. Uh, but it's this great video that says you, you can't be the church without going to church. And I'll tell you right hey, now. Brother, yes. Let me mention this because I want you to go right on into where I know you're mm -hmm. headed. For those that have criticized Pastor Coates, for those that have criticized numerous churches for opening, I want you to go to Acts chapter 12 and read this section about when Peter was arrested and the Lord sent an angel to free him or to basically break him out of prison. My question for you, if you claim James Coates is in sin for what he's done, if you think James Coates is in sin for refusing to stop preaching. I have a question for you. Was God in sin? Was the angel in sin? And was Peter in sin for disobeying Herod and for getting broke out of prison? And then he it states that he left and went away to another place for a while. That's my question for you. Was Peter in sin? Was the angel in sin? Was God in sin? Because they disobeyed Herod. The thing is, God is the ultimate authority, not your government, not your local magistrate. If the government is commanding you to do something, or not do something in this case, that goes against the Word of God, we are to obey God rather than man, regardless of what it cost us. And that's the sad reality. Too many people that profess to be Christian are not willing to give up comfort, and ease in order to truly serve and obey what God has commanded. And that boils down to what the problem is. You're more people that profess to be Christians, not in just this country, but also worldwide. Well, not worldwide, but any westernized civilization. Mm -hmm. You're not willing to give up your comfort, your your ease, your relaxation, your entertainment, you're not willing to give up those little things for Christ. What makes you think you're going to give up anything serious when it comes to truly following Christ and taking up your cross? Sadly, I have a feeling that more of these people that have criticized Pastor Coates, more when it when when as things progress and if it goes the way that a lot of us suspect it will, they'll never have to worry about being persecuted. They'll never have to worry about anything being taken away from them because they will go along with whatever the government says or orders, just like Bethany services did, mm -hmm. because there's going to come a point in time to where it's going to cost you far more than ease and comfort to follow Christ. It's going to cost you your business, your, maybe your life, your home. There's a lot of things that it could possibly cost you. But if a person is not willing to give up the smallest thing now, in order to obey Christ, they they will definitely not give up anything in, of great importance when it comes to following Christ. Because I know people now that claim that, well, I don't have time to read the Bible, but yet they'll sit and binge 12 hours of a Hulu or Netflix show, mm -hmm. but yet they don't have time to read their Bible. It's not a matter that they don't have time. They don't care about it to begin with. As a friend of ours once says, we do what we care about and that is reflected in our private life and our private walk 
if you truly love Christ and you truly seek to obey Christ, it'll show up in the little things long before it shows up in the big things. Amen. Amen. All right, so before we go into why the church is to actually physically gather, I want to share with you Pastor Gabe Hughes. Uh, he, he has the uh, YouTube channel, Well, What? When We Understand the Text. I think it's a fantastic uh, YouTube channel, and these are 90-second, you know, the, deeply theological uh, videos. I mean, they're great. You really need to so, go and subscribe to that, and then go subscribe to his podcast, because he does a great daily Bible study, and then Fridays, he's on with his wife and answering questions uh, from, from listeners. So you go subscribe to, well, what, WWUTT, both on YouTube and on uh, on you know, podcast. So let me, let me hit this play button here for you. So you guys can hear this. I think you guys will, uh, will find this useful. It's kind of funny. The number of churches saying, don't go to church, be the church as witty as they think that is. They're inadvertently telling people not to go to church. A few have altered it a little. Don't just go to church, be the church, but the problem is still the same. The message is that church is not a place you go to. You can be the church right where you're sitting or where you work or where you shop. There are many pretend Christians who think this way already. But here's the thing. You cannot be the church unless you go to church. Let's understand what the church is. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means an assembly or a congregation. So to be the church, you must assemble. Yes, the church is a people, not a building. But notice that it's a people plural. You are not the church by yourself. According to 1 Peter 2.5, you are a living stone, part of the church, being built up with the rest of the church as a spiritual house unto the Lord. God commands us to gather regularly, that we may stir one another to love and good works, encouraging one another all the more as the day of the Lord draws near. Together we're growing in Christ, listening to exhortation and teaching, singing together, praying together, eating the Lord's Supper together, celebrating baptism baptism, rejoicing and mourning with each other, even disciplining one another, and much more we cannot do by ourselves. We can't grow together if we're not meeting together. So go to church to be the church when we understand the text. So like I said, fantastic, uh, great little video. I will, I'll put that also in our show notes. But I'll tell you right now, he is absolutely right. A lot of people are saying, well, you don't need to go to church to do church, to uh, to attend church, to participate in church. But he's right. It is an assembly, a gathering. And there are things that actually occur when we gather as the church that you can't do via live stream. You can't do via Zoom or text or email. Uh, you, there, you there is a reason that we are called together. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I know we've spent a lot of time, my goodness, we've gone about an hour into this and we're we're just getting to the meat of this. But this is important because we are watching individuals like Pastor James Coates who are currently sitting in a jail cell and is being denied bail because he will not stop the gathering of his church. He's He's been told, you can be released, but you have to not, not do the work of the pastor. And he said, can't do that. So he gets to sit in a jail cell being denied bail so that 
he has to wait for his day in court so he can be made an example of. So that video that Pastor Gabe put together, I think is fantastic. I want you guys to watch it because the slides are really, uh, you know, they have the Bible verses to support what he's talking about. Plus just some, well, all right. I'm not, I'm not I didn't share this one, but just for this reason, but yours truly actually has a cameo in it. But um, I just wanted to, to share that. So you guys will, will find that very, very interesting. Now, Let's talk about why we are commanded to come together as a church. So we'll start with Hebrews 10. Get your Bibles out and turn to Hebrews 10. And we're going to read verses 24 and 25. And if you're not familiar with the program, we read from the the ESV, the uh, English Standard Version, or as Virgil Walker says, the Elect Standard Version. Um, so, but that's that's just the 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 the. Uh, the version that I read, I think, is a good one. If you read from another, that's fine. Another topic for another show. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we're stirring one another up, right? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So he's telling us we are to stir each other up to love and good works, how? When we come together. We don't neglect that because there are some people that he says, that's the habit of some, that they don't come together. You don't neglect this. But not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is not an option. Okay. This isn't, he's, he's not saying, well, go to gather together if you're if you feel like it, this is, or if it's, if it's opportune to do, he is saying, do not neglect the coming together because in coming together, you're, this is where we are doing that, doing that, stirring one another up to love and good works. As we come together as a body of believers, this is where this work is happening. There's an actual expectation that the church comes together and it's not to be neglected. All right. That now, obviously, like we were saying at the beginning of the show, there may be a reason why a person cannot physically attend. All right? You may be someone who has physically unable. Maybe you're someone who literally lives out in the middle of nowhere with limited transportation, and you can't get there. Maybe for a season you work a job that prevents you from being there on Sundays, but you are working toward being able to be there present or you know when you can get those days off your present that's that's a little different you're not doing you're not just saying i'm not going to go because i don't feel like i need to go there there's legitimate reasoning for a period of time where you may not be able to be physically present okay but that is now we'll talk about the government saying no you can't as why that's not a legitimate reason in a minute but this is that's not to be our practice. Avoiding church or just choosing not to attend is that's not an option for us. We are commanded to not neglect the coming together. If you're able to and you don't gather, you're neglecting a command of God. That corporate worship is for the mutual building up of the body. Okay? You you don't do that viewing it online. Now, with, uh, you know, when you listen to a podcast like this, or you listen to a John MacArthur sermon, or you go to Ligonier.org and you listen to their teachings and sermons, or you view a conference online and the preaching, the wonderful preaching that's going on, do you get sound biblical teaching in, uh, in some of those cases? Yes, but that's not gathering as a church. 
Understand that you may be get, getting taught, you may learn some fantastic, wonderful, biblically sound material, but you are not coming together and stirring up one another to love and good works. You are the government can't override this command. Okay, God, God, there's no exception that says, well, if except for if the government says no. Okay, we go back a year ago. There was a legitimate. A, we think if we don't stop everybody and in, in their tracks right now, you know, basically everybody's going to die. And so everybody kind of went, okay, freeze, hold on, let's see if this is what's really happening. There, there, in that brief moment, there seemed to be a legitimate health and safety concern. Since then, a lot of question behind that. And by and by, uh, by the way, for those of you who are screaming at your speakers right now. 500,000 people have died. How do you not say that's, uh, you know, that's not enough? I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Every life that has passed as a direct result of this illness is a tragic loss of life. Absolutely. Hands down. I will not deny that. Now, with that said, how many were lost to serious flu pan uh, epidemics? How many were lost during uh, other illness seasons where the medications we had were not good because it was a bad virus strain or what whatever this is what is never getting discussed when those numbers are being shared illness often takes life no question and every life lost is a tragic loss because every life is made in the image and likeness of god but we are living in a fallen world where illness occurs does the church stop being the church because illness exists? I would argue absolutely not. It is more needed now more than ever because we are being reminded daily that we are in a fallen world where death and disease exist. Okay, You can't stop being the church because death and disease exist. Death and disease will never stop. We live in a world that is tainted and destroyed by sin. We need the church. We need to come together as the church. We need to stir uh, each other up to love and good works. And the government, out of using the 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 death and disease, cannot override God's command to come together. So, do not email me and say you're heartless. You don't care about grandma who's dying. I care about every one of them. We have a good friend of this show who's lost someone to this. Believe me, we care. All right? If you're sick, stay home. Take proper precautions. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. What we have taught people for years can still be used, and you can still go to church. So that's the first thing. Okay? We are commanded to come together. We have a, uh, a direct commandment from God to not neglect this. Now, when we come together, remember, we're, we come together for a purpose. In coming together, God equips us and edifies us through each other. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God equips certain people 
certain men to be the leaders and shepherds and teachers over the church. And within the body of Christ, men and women teaching, you know, men teaching uh, men, women teaching women, all of these things. Why? So that we will grow up and be equipped so that we will be mature and we will measure, we will, uh, our maturity comes to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we come together, those that have been equipped to do this work are building up those individuals who are gathering for this very purpose so that we grow and learn to love God's word and grow in our maturity and our wisdom and our practice. Why is it important we do that? Let's continue. So we, you know, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we need to come together so that those who are equipped to do so can teach and equip us so that we mature. So why? We avoid false teaching. The church gathers together. One of the reasons is so that we are equipped to know God's word and truth so that we are not being tossed around as we're seeing happen right now in America where a critical race theory and intersectionality are beating the living daylights of, out of, of society. A false teaching that's been foisted upon the church you are to come together as a church so that the people who are equipped to teach the Word of God can help you see how evil that is, how wicked it is, how anti-biblical it is, so that you can avoid it and walk in the maturity of Christ, so that you're not swayed by false teaching. We gather together so that we can be equipped, so that we can know true from false. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, all of us, joined and held together by every joint with which, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that, it's, so that it builds itself up in love. We are coming together, being trained together, being equipped together, so that we may work together. Okay, The church pulled apart, not connected together, doesn't function right. Okay, We don't grow up solo. We're not just a tiny little piece of the body sitting over here growing and, and functioning on our own. Absolutely not. We are growing and connected together so that we function properly together. The church gathers so that it can be equipped, so that it can grow in maturity, so that it can know true from false, and so that it functions together as a body. Okay, You can't bypass this and say, well, you can sit in your living room and watch via live stream and do this. You can't do it that way. Zoom cannot replace that. Live stream cannot replace that. Podcast cannot replace that. You may get something beneficial from those things, but you will not grow up in the way that we are designed to if you forsake the gathering of the body. Rich, before I go any further, any thoughts? Well, brother, it just, I, I, to summarize everything you have said, I would just add that a low view 
of church assembly reflects a low view of Christ and his teachings. Amen. Because as Christians, we should desire that fellowship of being around other believers. And sadly, I know we have brothers and sisters that live in an area where they have a hard time finding a solid Bible-believing church, and the church they attend may not be necessarily truly a Bible-believing church, but it's that desire to be able to join in fellowship with fellow believers and and to be able to grow from being around one another and the willingness and the, the desire to be held accountable because we've seen so many men and women over the years fall and, and go into sin because they let their hearts be tempted and there was no one in their life to hold them accountable. There was no one for them to go to and say, I'm struggling with this sin. I, I'm struggling. I need prayer. What advice do you have? Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the key components of fellowship and coming together as an assembly is that we need that accountability in our life. We need church discipline. Both concepts are despised in in Mm -hmm. American Christianity today. But that is one thing that we definitely will receive if we're in a Bible-believing church and and going to church and and being in fellowship with other believers. And this is one of those times to where, you know, to me, being in a small church is more of a reflection of that because in a smaller church, you get to know one another. You, you grow in companionship with one another. You know what's going on in one another's lives. You pray for each other. You reach out to each other. And that small assembly is more like a family than it is just a bunch of people going to get together on Sunday at church. I find, I guess because maybe I've only ever gone to small churches and that's what I've grown up in over the years. But I don't see how if you attend, if you attend a church with a normal assembly of say 3000 people how do you how does the pastor even get to know everyone that's in that congregation right. and i know this is a topic for another time but even in that large assembly you you're possibly or more than likely a member of some smaller group and you are receiving that fellowship you are getting to know one another i think part of the problem for a lot of people we don't we don't look at church as gathering together with our family. It's something we do to check off the list, hoping that I get credit for going to church and that my, that'll help my good outweigh it's bad. And we know that that's not the way it works, but I've talked to so many people over the years. A lot of them do view it that way that I, I need to get credit for going to church. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And sadly, you know, there are so many things that we are blessed with by gathering in an assembly under a solid pastor that we cannot obtain by feeding ourselves at home. Yeah. It, 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 it's actually a very, very deep subject that, you know, time doesn't permit to go into all the depths and the different avenues of this subject. But just on the surface, I think it could be easily said that if you have a low view of church and a low view of church assembly and a low of, low view of fellowship, you have a low view of Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's continue with, uh, you know, how coming together equips us. 
So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. So one, one chapter over. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as uh, unwise, excuse me, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then similarly in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When we come together, we're actually building each other up in the joy of the Lord. Okay? Imagine standing by yourself in a field and singing a song and that might that might feel wonderful, but when you have a body of people together singing, especially when it is a song of worship to God, the impact that that has. Now, we don't do this just simply for an emotional buzz, but there is something about coming together that God designed us to do that we are encouraging one another in the joy of the Lord, when we do this to one another, when we sing and pray together, when we lift up worship to God together, okay, God designed us to function together as a people, not as a person, but rather as a people, and we are teaching each other, admonishing one another, we're correcting and, and saying that's not right, this is what the Bible says, and we're, we're teaching each other to be thankful we're ministering to one another through these, through those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All right, we are to avoid the useless joy of the world. You know, if, you know, in Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians, "Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery." You know, that's the that's the foolish joy of the world. It makes you happy and, and 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 joyful for a moment until the crash comes and the hangover, and then the then you got to do it again just to even get a, a, a glimpse of it. Rather, this is joy that is reflective of eternal joy with Christ. All right, we're to avoid the foolish and useless joy of the world, but we build each other up in the joy found in Christ alone. It can be hard when you're alone to focus on Christ. And you may be tempted to sin or you may be tempted to the things of this world, but when you come together as a body, and you're praying together, and you're helping express joy and thankfulness together. It refocuses you because you're no longer alone, but you're part of the, part of this living, breathing body of beings. We worship together as one, the one who redeemed us, and it keeps us reverent toward Christ, rather than we start thinking when we're solo and alone, what has Christ really done to help me? So we are called together to be equipped by those who are there to teach us, but we are called together to build each other up through praise and worship and thankfulness, correction and admonition and teaching. That's all the things that you must do together as a body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. 
1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is he saying to the Corinthian church? They're, they're all concerned about the gifts of the Spirit, right? Everybody's kind of jockeying for the best gifts. What has he said? Strive to excel in building up the church. If you want gifts of the Spirit, you're using them for a reason. It's not a personal gratification or to say, hey, look at me, what gift I've got. But rather, it is to build up the church. It is to be used for the common good. God equips his children with gifts. Some may teach, some may give gifts of help, some may pray well, some may have a word of encouragement, some may have discernment. They come, but we come together to practice those for one another. They're meant for the mutual building up of the church. We can only do that when we're gathered. How can you encourage someone if you're not there? To encourage them. How are you to build them up in the word if you can't talk to them and see them face to face? Yes, you can shoot a text message. Yeah, you might be able to do something via Zoom. But every one of us knows that's not nearly as effective as when you come together face to face and you see the love and the joy and the concern and the care that someone is pouring into you using the very gifts God gave them ministries of helps or giving of the word which is to you know giving from don't don't if somebody says i have a word from the lord they better have their bible open okay if they tell you i have a word from the lord no they don't unless they got their bible open and they're about ready to read something to you in context no they don't have a word from the lord but it is necessary to gather so that these gifts might be used toward each other for our mutual building up you have to gather to practice this. You cannot practice the one another's when you are apart. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, those, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater uh, treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one, one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You come together as a body because the body parts need each other to function. And yes, in in how the world and how we each other view our positions and, and within the church, some may have greater honor, but others may be needed more than we know. And so when one is honored, we're all rejoicing together because we are a body together. Okay, You can't do that apart. You can't practice the one another's. You can't practice the gifts that you're given when you're pulled apart. And how do you rejoice in the in what God is doing, even in what in a, a person that is a, a less presentable part of the body? How can they be honored if you're apart? Separated from one another, the limbs of the body and the organs may twitch and, and flop for a moment, 
but they eventually wither and die. Likewise, without the body of Christ coming together as a body, we're cut off from that life-giving and sustaining functions that we receive from one another. Paul is making a point that the body parts function together and some may seem more important than others, but others which may not even be presentable have some of the greatest necessities of life. And so together, it functions together and rejoices together and is praising and is honored together. You know, you can cut your arm off and it'll flip and flop and really look alive for a moment, but it's going to die. And so a Christian will spiritually wither and die without being in that contact, that gathering together physically in a place to worship together. Now, subject that a lot of us don't like to think about, church discipline. This is also requires us to come together. Okay, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins to, against you, go and tell him his fault, going to a person, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take to one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, we are commanded to examine our own lives first, right? We got to look for the log in our own eyes. But we are to be mindful for the sins of one another. Rich said it earlier. Judgment starts with the household of God. Paul said it specifically. He says, "What I wasn't talking about judging the world. The world's already a mess. I'm speaking of judging judgment within the church. And when he was talking to the Corinthian church, judgment has to start inside the church. You have to judge if someone is in rebellion against God. Okay, there was a big kerfuffle on on the internet recently. This gal sharing that she covers her name so you can't see it, but it's this church discipline letter, and it's all about how she's not attending church. She's living in an in an illicit relationship. She's being commanded to come back to church, commanded to to you know leave the illicit relationship, get herself back in fellowship and in repentance, or she'll be disfellowshipped. That's church discipline. And she, it's shared because what on earth? How dare they? This is what a church does. But you have to come together for that to happen because you have to be involved in one another's lives for this to occur. So we are called to examine ourselves, but we are called to examine one another. Yes, you pull the log out of your own eye, but don't forget the following verse that you see the splint that you may see the splinter in your brother's eye. You have to examine his eye to know there's a splinter there, right? We have to examine one another's lives. We have to be judging whether or not a person is in sin. So we're called to repent of our own sins, but we're also called to rescue one another from the path of sin. So we can't do that. We can't observe it. We can't address it if we're not together to see these things. But it's not only just seeing it in another person's life. Excuse me, my mouth's going a little dry. Um, but we're to speak to him or her about what, what we've seen. So... It's an individual coming together in this in the initial stages. We're to call one to repentance, and this takes time, obviously. And it means an ongoing coming together to discuss these things. If a person refuses to repent, then there's a greater amount of coming together. 
more people involved. Again, we're rescuing the person from the path of sin, not saying, how dare you, you're such a terrible person, but rather we're trying to pull them back into fellowship with Christ, pull them back into that relationship with the body, pull them back into the, uh, the you know path of righteousness. But it still requires this more people coming together for this to happen. This is not something you do by sending a text message or an email that other people can read and see. This is, you're, you're getting in this personal conversation. Eventually, you have to take it to the body of Christ. You have to take it to the elders. More people have to become involved. Involved in this person's life. Calling the person to repentance. Calling them and begging them back into that, that right standing with Christ. And eventually... If a person rejects all of this and says, how dare you tell me how to live, then you excommunicate them. And it must be done in the presence of the church. Church disciplines means the church must gather. It is an ongoing process. We have to be involved in one another's lives to know their sin. We have to come together to, with, to with, come to each other when there is sin. And we have to go through the process of repentance and discipline to bring a person back from that path of sin. You cannot do that sitting in your living room watching a video screen. Remember, the purpose of the church is that we would worship God in all that we do. Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice. That, you know, the, the way we live is to be our spiritual worship. Every aspect of my life is meant to be dedicated to God. And when I bring the body of Christ together, we get to practice all these amazing gifts with one another, up to and including calling me back from sin. But when you separate the body apart, you can't do that. So this idea that, well, the, the government can tell you not to gather. You, you can do it from home. That's nonsense. That's not doing church. The last thing. The pastor is commanded to call the church together. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy was a pastor. He was to call the people together for the purpose of uh, public reading of the scripture, to exhort them and to teach them. Now, in a technical sense, can you do that across a video screen? Yes, teaching can occur. But that's not Paul's intent here. Remember, Paul wrote letters. Okay, Paul taught via those letters. But Paul also went and planted churches. Paul made himself present and in the lives of those churches and then wrote to those people later. And when he wrote, he wanted the church to gather together to hear the reading of those letters. Paul's ministry wasn't a letter-writing ministry. It was a church-planning ministry, and he made sure the churches gathered when those letters were read. So it is assumed that when Timothy is doing the public reading of Scripture, exhortation and teaching, he is doing it to a gathered body of believers. The intent and the assumption of the New Testament is it is the public reading was to be done with a gathered body of believers. So God 
has commanded the pastor to draw them together. The government cannot override God. So when I say, yes, obey Romans 13 unless you are in a Acts 4 situation, Pastor James Coates is in an Acts 4 situation. Because as we said earlier, it has become exceedingly clear that the governments of the world are abusing the authority given to them by these so-called emergency powers that now a year later are still being used to tell people how they get to live, what businesses are essential, what protests are beautiful, but what a terrible thing a church can do to gather. Pastor Coates is absolutely right to say, if you think I should obey you over God, that's up for you to decide, but as for me, I will obey God. People understand this. A year ago when we talked about this, we were concerned about those who looked at churches, who genuinely looked at the information known at the time and said, we want to do what's right. We want to love our neighbors. We want to love our people. And we want to obey the government where it is necessary for us to do so. And they practiced what they believed was right. And a lot of those churches took so much heat. And I don't think that was fair. But a year later, when it has become abundantly clear that the governments of the world who hate God and they want secularism to be their God hate the church. The church is non-essential in the eyes of secular government. It provides no taxes for the coffers. It teaches its people to obey God rather than government. It teaches that there is right and wrong, sin and repentance. We are in an age where secularism is king. And the church is the greatest stopgap against it. Why do you think communist Russia would send people to Siberia because they were Christians? Because God was government. There was no other God. Why does North Korea put people in prison camps? Why does China tear down prisons? Because you cannot have a God that is not government. For those of you who believe that Pastor James Coates is not under persecution, you are looking, as Rich said, with a poor understanding of the theology of the church. And if you really believe this is not persecution. Let me ask you a question. What do you think persecution is? Do you really think persecution is being drugged out to the execution fields, shot in the head because you won't recant? Yeah, that's persecution. That is the worst form of persecution when beatings and rapes and torture and murder occur for professing the faith. But let me ask you a question. What form? When did persecution be limited only to that? And how did those who practice that form of persecution now get to that point? Did they start at that level of persecution? Or did they rise to power and over time, as most tyrannical governments have done, over time begin attacking its enemies in smaller and small ways and then larger and then larger and then full-on persecution? 
If you think right now that the churches are not being targeted, you're just being foolish. Yes, it happens to other places. But have you seen a man being denied bail, denied visitation with his family, being tried in secret because he left his bar open? Yes, we've seen people go to jail for having their gym open. That's happened. Have you heard of anything like this? Nothing to this extent. This is being done as an example. Because they want to be able to tell the church what it can do. And the church, as we just went over in all this scripture, has an obligation to say, we will gather. If we don't recognize this now, we're not going to recognize it until it's too late. If you ever want to just have a little bit of a shocking read, read Richard Wormbrown's Tortured for Christ. Early uh, chapter of that book, he describes what it was like in uh, pre-Nazi Germany as Hitler rose to power. And there were churches that began to back Hitler. Worm Brown said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he caught a lot of grief. Worm Brown went to a prison camp. The chasters that supported Hitler followed sometime later. When we think we have to, ca- to cater to the government for permission to do what God has commanded us to do, we might buy ourselves a moment. But eventually the persecution comes in full. And those that cater to the government now will only be its victims later. So we are not in the same situation Rich and I described a year ago. We are far beyond that. We crossed that line of uh, concern that Rich expressed a month after we did that show. We really did pass that line, but it took us a while to catch it. We're well beyond that line now. If you don't believe that, you need to re-examine your understanding of the purpose and place and the theology of the church. That's just straight up being truthful. Rich, any thoughts before we start letting these guys go? (laughs) Well, just a couple of things I'd like the listeners to ponder. Keep in mind, a bad attitude will always reflect a bad heart and your actions will always follow your beliefs so like i said earlier if you have a low view of church and a low view of church assembly you definitely have a low view of christ because we are commanded as you said and pointed out from scripture to gather together and folks listen please pay attention to what i'm about to tell you because i think this is forgotten and even solid brothers and sisters sometimes are still we're we're still guilty of this but we have to remember we're here to serve Christ Christ is not here to serve us going to church and gathering together as an assembly is in service to Christ because when we worship and come together for worship we're honoring Christ and we're honoring his glory and we should be seeking to serve him But sadly, more times than not, we come together, whether it be in prayer or going to church, 
to approach Christ more like he's a divine wishing well rather than the creator and God of the universe who created everything, who created us, who created us to serve and glorify him, not only with our words, but in our actions, in our prayers, in our Bible study, because the Bible tells us everything we do should be done as unto the Lord. That means from the time we wake up until the time we go to sleep, regardless of what day it is. Because guess what? Every day is the Lord's day, not just Sunday or not just when we come together at church. But we need to approach each day as it is the Lord's day and obey and submit to the authority of Christ and obey everything he says, not just what we want to obey and not twist his words to mean what we want it to mean. Because our opinion means nothing. It is and always has been, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. So if you are new to Voice of Reason Radio, welcome to a <laughs> a slam bang starting place for you. Uh, this is what we do. This is what we do. We talk about the things of God and we challenge you to go to the Word of God. If you don't agree with us, fine. Go to the Word. Don't cherry-pick your verses, by the way. Go to them in context, study it, pray, and put to practice what the Word says. But I'll tell you right now, this is an important discussion. We absolutely need to understand the theology of the church. And the church is called and commanded to gather for very specific purposes. It's not just so we can have nice music, coffee, and some neat conversation and some, some mm, occasional good, uh, feel-good preaching from the guy up at the pulpit. It is an act of worship. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of edification and building one another up so that we might do the good works of God. And that is a necessity in the life of a believer. So if you are new, welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. I hope you enjoyed your first show. Um, by the way, this is the kind of stuff you can expect on the Theo Bros Twitter account. I'm not going to pull punches. We're not going to be mean for the sake of being mean. It might throw an occasional sarcastic quip out there. That's uh, pretty much because that's how I talk. But, <laughs> but we're not going to pull punches. We're not going to be mean. We're not, we're not going to be harsh. Uh, but we are going to you know, point people back to the Word of God. So welcome aboard if you are new. For those who have been tuning in and being a part of this for nearly five years now, again, thank you. You guys are amazing. Um, I don't like having to say this because I, 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 I always hate bringing this up. We did create a Patreon account. If you go to the slavetothekingcom website, it's there. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it to you if you want to do it. <laughs> I don't like bringing it up. <laughs> um, but you know, people have, people asked, so we made one. So that said, uh, thank you for being with us this week. If you have comments, questions, concerns, please email us voice of reason radio at gmail.com. You can also use the contact us page at slave to the king.com. Bear with me. I don't know how yet to connect that to the email. So it goes into a particular bin that I have to log in and go read. If I forget to do that, it takes me a minute to find it. 
So I apologize if I don't get to those right away. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, share it with others, please. We would love not to see numbers grow, but we would just love to be able to do what we continue to do for so long and just be able to speak to brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them to be busy about studying the word. So if you enjoy this and it's beneficial, share it. It's all we're asking you to do. Pray for us, pray for the program, pray that we would be faithful and that God would provide that we are always able to continue to do what we need to do. And uh, just pray for our families because they got to put up with us knuckleheads and you guys have no idea what that's like. So (laughs) thank you for being with us. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.